everyone, it's Trang here, and welcome to my podcast, Tape This, where I interview local artists and learn more about them. Today, I have Kayla Scales, the melanated, introspective gardener, pianist, tarot reader, and songwriter with me. Hi, Kayla. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you, Trang? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming over and being on my show with me today. Yeah, of course. Alrighty. So excited. Yes, I'm super excited to learn more about you. So let's go ahead and get started. Can you first start by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. Um, so I am from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. I'm actually from um, Irving specifically, and then I grew up around the HEB, Hershey's Bedford area. Oh wow. Spent a lot of my 20s in the Arlington area and just kind of been in Arlington ever since. Um, I went to Tarrant County College and University of Texas at Arlington, graduated mm-hmm. from both. Nice. Went to high school at Lawrence Dale Bell High School. Um, I've never heard of that. <laughs> LD, yeah, they call it LD Bell High School. Oh, I've heard. okay, yeah. okay, uh-huh. now I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lawrence Dale High School, that's like the full name of the school, but yeah. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, um, that's my alma mater. Um, and then... Yeah, I've just been kind of out here doing my thing ever since. Just been... Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so can you uh, tell us a little bit about how your music journey began? Oh, gosh. Like as an artist? Yeah. yeah. So growing up, um, I would always sing to myself, and I was always making up little songs by myself. Like, I would always oh, go oh, outside and play I did with... I too. <laughs> uh-huh. I would always go outside and play with the bugs and the frogs uh-huh. and the little grass snakes, and I would collect the little grass snakes, but I would always be, like, oh, singing to myself yeah. and humming to myself. And so that's kind of like the first seed of when I really started just like being artistic. And then as I got older, I just kind of did other artistic endeavors and I really wanted to learn how to be an artist and like draw oh, really, cool. really well. Like I was enamored by people who could make realistic portraits mm-hmm. just with paper and pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my mom, I was, I went up to my mom and I was like, mom, I want art lessons. Can you give Aww. me art lessons? And she's like, I will let you get art lessons if you take piano lessons. My mom was so, she wanted me to play piano so bad. Oh my God. It was the center of like every conversation for like a little while. Oh my gosh. Was there like a specific reason for piano? Because we have long fingers. And it it kept being a thing with people. Like people would ask the women in my family because we have long, like my, like in my, my hands are actually smaller than my mom's. Okay. So if you can believe, my hands are already pretty long. My mom's are bigger and so are my grandma's. So the women in my family just have really large hands and people would always ask, do you play piano? Because you have really great piano hands. Mm -hmm. Everyone would always say no. She was like, no, Kayla's going to be the one that does. And so, (laughs) and so the trade-off was... She would let me have art lessons, so I went to this local studio after school, and I got to learn how to watercolor paint and draw and do all this really cool stuff, but I also had to take the piano lessons, so every week also, um, I would alternate. She would take me to this lady, and she would drop me off, and we Mm -hmm. would just, yeah, I would play, I would do my little piano lessons Mm -hmm. with her, and I would just sit and do my homework, and then my mom would come and get me, and then one day, the art lessons just completely stopped. Oh. And the piano lessons just kept going. Like on your own accord? No. Oh, I didn't no. even get to choose. My mom didn't even let me oh, choose. No. She just was like, okay, that's enough now. We're gonna Are you keep- serious? <laughs> Basically, like my mom is just like, she just, she, I, I, she just 
she she there were so many moments where she was just like, I'm just going, we just going. You just gonna do what I feel like you need to do right wow. now. <laughs> wow. And one of them was piano lessons. So I was just, so yeah, like I I I the, she stopped taking me to the art lessons. We kept going to the piano lessons, probably because they were cheaper, truthfully. I think that's okay. really what it was. I think the art lessons were a little expensive to gotcha. her. I think the piano lessons were significantly cheaper because they were just at someone's house where mm. she had to take me to this art studio. Yeah, oh. sign up. Had to get art supplies. Yeah. Had to pay the teacher. It was a whole, it was like real deal <laughs> stuff. But the piano lessons were just like, yeah, sure, I'll pay you 50 bucks to right. teach my kids. So right. whatever. So I'm pretty oh. sure that's why that stayed, but... <laughs> so that was my first real start in music. I just wow. started taking piano lessons. How old were you? I was 10. 10 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, that's about the same time my parents tried to get me to do piano, and I, it never stuck for me. I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, like, the only reason why it stuck is because I was surprisingly pretty good. Oh, okay. Like, I didn't. I just it wasn't my passion. Like right. I just, it's one of those things where she's like, <laughs> but you're just good. I'm here because my mother makes me be right. here, <laughs> and you just happen to be really good, and I just happen to actually be pretty good. So, yeah. So when did you get involved with the the DFW art scene specifically? How old were you? I was twenty. Eight, twenty-seven. Oh wow! I, I was twenty-eight. I was twenty-eight because we just come back from Nepal. Okay. And I turned. 28 later that fall because we came back in 2018 so it was, I was like 27 28 oh wow somewhere in there yeah how did you learn about the the art scene or how did how did it happen that you became a part of it I so as soon as we came back from Nepal because in Nepal we had been gigging we had been um, playing shows at this uh, place called booze belly after the whole incident with Lottie and um, as soon as we came back I was just like I want to kind of create that similar blueprint Mm-hmm. So as soon as we came back, I hit the desk like pretty much within a week and was just like, I'm just going to hit up every single open mic that I had been meaning to hit up for years because I had always wanted to be a songwriter and play my own music on stage and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Aww. But I'd never had the, the balls. <laughs> never had the, the bravery to do it. But like after the whole, after like really getting the confidence and like singing a lot and all that I was just like well no I, I think I can probably do this I nice. can make it happen so I, as soon as we came back I was like I'm just gonna hit up every single open mic that I know wow. now, and I'm just gonna try it a little bit for myself because mm-hmm. Lottie hadn't come back yet mm. had some crappy first time so oh. I was like I'm nervous I can't do oh. it <laughs> I think we've but, all been there. <laughs> but I kept noting it in my mind, like, this place has open mic on this day. This place has Aww. open mic on this day. So I just kind of made, like, yeah. a little schedule so that when Lottie came back, we could just come back, but come okay. back as Iggy Meji. Um, um, and then eventually, I found out about the Spoken Easy Speakeasy mm-hmm. through Instagram is when oh, I first wow. saw it. I had saw a post, and I was like, I have to go to that. Wow. And, and, so through Instagram, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then coincidentally... Later on that week, that same week that I found about found out about Spoken Easy, me and Lottie started going to these meetings with Preach, Sin, Tom Tom, who else was there? Uh, Trey Michael Day, who it runs the Speakeasy, and um, Martel, Art by Martel, um, and a couple other people. We just started having these like monthly meetings, and I met Trey at these meetings, and I was like. I, I really, really need to go and do your open mic because you need to, you know, hear us and mm-hmm. you need to, like, you know, just kind of 
blow shit up around your your set. And so like, so we just started hitting up Speakeasy a lot, and we turned out to be like a pretty kind of regular mm-hmm. thing there for a little minute, and that's really how we got our wow. way in. Wow, this was 2018, you said. Mm-hmm. 2018. Wow. I meant to ask, when did you get started started with like singing? Because you did piano, and where when did singing come into play? So. So I always wanted to sing. I did take voice lessons for like four or five months when I was 13 and I was really good. Oh wow, yeah. But I was nervous as fuck on stage. (laughs) (laughs) The first singing recital I ever did, I like blacked out. Oh my gosh. all the lyrics, I was just like up there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was supposed to be singing Getting to Know You by The King and I. I don't know if you know that Broadway play. Uh Uh-uh. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I think I've heard that, yeah. I was supposed to be singing that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> as soon as I got up on that stage, after the first few notes, I'm like, <laughs> legs are shaking. Like, I don't remember the words. Like, oh what gosh. am I doing up here? This is so awful. This is stupid, <laughs> stupid, stupid. Like, so oh. just like, I was like, I never want to sing again. I never want to sing again. So I literally only stuck with, um, I stuck with instruments. I learned how to play piano. I learned how to play guitar. I learned how to play flute. And then um, I got into a rock band because I was actually a really good guitar player at one point. And from being in that rock band, I kind of experimented a little bit with like singing a little bit, mm-hmm. but I honestly did not actually decide to start singing truly until I want to say 2015. Oh. 2015 is when I actually really started. And actually, it was because of my previous relationship with this guy. I'll go ahead and say his name. His name is Jordan. He's not anyone that anyone would probably (laughs) particularly know that we know. But we started making music and writing songs together. Mm -hmm. And that's how I really started singing. We would sing in our apartment. And we would just write all these songs. We wrote like five songs in one week. And they were all pretty good. Wow. But it was... Are any of the songs out there? No. No. Like there it was unfortunate because I don't I don't want to get too deep into Uh his um addiction issues, but like literally that's why the songs aren't out there is because it's just he would he wouldn't be coherent when we would practice sometimes. And so it was very difficult to Mm -hmm. practice and so but it was in that in that moment in those apartments mm-hmm. off of Collins when we Aww. were making those songs together I was like I'm actually you know like I've always wanted to be a songwriter and I've always been writing songs and like this is like a really good like cohesive thing going on and I can kind of sing and people are telling me that when they hear me through my apartment doors I kind of sound alright so I'll probably keep this up for a while and um, yeah and then you broke up <laughs> and then I just kind of like moved on with life and kept yeah. singing but Aww. That's awesome. So what, um, what, you've talked a little bit about the, the different creative projects you've been in. Um, what are you currently a part of? What, what different things are you currently a part of? I am, um, part of Iggy Meji, as mm-hmm. y'all know, uh, lead, oh, lead singer and vocal, uh, keyboardist. Mm-hmm. Um, Plastic China Doll is my solo project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have one song out now, but I am working on other ones. And then I am also, I play a keyboard slash synth for uh, Peyton Stilling. 
Okay. Oh, wow. You know, I've always meant to ask, because um, I know it was like a couple years ago or so, I did the shoot for you for your single, mm -hmm. um, To Be Me, and I always meant to ask, where did Plastic China Doll, the name, come from? So when I was 18, 18 was when I decided, I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to be a songwriter. That's, that's my goal. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to make a career out of writing songs, because after I graduated high school, I didn't know what else I could do. Like I had done marching band that whole time. Music mm -hmm. was literally the only thing that I had in my capacity where it's just like, I can see myself doing this the rest of my life. And so I had this little notebook that I would carry around with me all the time that I would write songwriting ideas in. And I would write names of like bands or stuff that sounded cool. Cause I was always trying to make a band with somebody. Always, mm -hmm. always, always. And so I would keep all these band names, and one of them was Plastic China Doll. I had other names too, like Novocaine. Um, oh. Uh, oh God. John dies at the end. Um, <laughs> that was actually the name of like my very, very, very first band. We kind of called ourselves that for a little bit, but obviously it didn't work <laughs> Is out. Is that the punk band that uh, you were doing? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was yeah a long ass time ago. And then um, gosh. Something about something circuits, Russian circuits. Oh. That was another name, Russian circuits. Oh wow, play on word. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were other ones, man. But I had this notebook just filled with like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this would be a really cool band name. And then I wrote down like, if I were go, to, if I were to go solo, because I didn't know what I wanted. If I were to go solo, what would be my personal name? And I thought of like a few different kind of names, like China Doll. Um, I don't even remember what the other ones were. Plastic China Dollars kept coming up for me. I'm just like, I really like that one. And over the years, I kept typing that into Google just to see if anyone had ever claimed it ever as an artist. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, once I came back from Nepal, I typed it in again. It's like, does anyone claim this as an artist's name? And Google's like, nope. Oh, and I'm wow. like, okay, well, obviously this is meant for me because yeah. it's been like it's almost. It's been so long. Right? It's, all, it's basically been 10 years. It's obviously meant to be. So... That's where I got it from. Gotcha. Okay. So with um, with you having been involved with the DFW art scene for, for the past few years now, what do you love most about the scene from, from your experience? I feel like the scene is really good for supporting local things. Mm -hmm. We really do have a really great local ecosystem that I don't think a lot of people even realize Like we have people who can make posters and stickers mm -hmm. we have um people who um host like local shows mm -hmm. local record stores and things like things like that bars mm -hmm. and stuff like that that will host original bands playing original music so there's there's a lot of places around here that will gamble on original acts and original mm -hmm. bands um i feel like there's um, there's a lot of um, independent publications that are out mm -hmm. in DFW Board Magazine. There's um, oh my god, um, even Dallas Observer mm -hmm. will yeah. do things on local artists. Um, so to me, I feel like DFW is actually a really good place to sow your seeds of like creating a brand, mm -hmm. getting support, having a fan base. Um, and it's a lot less saturated than so many other places like LA. There's just there's not as much really really stressful competition where you're feeling like you're constantly oh, having to yeah. grind against other really really amazing musicians, mm -hmm. and it's not this constant competition and clash. 
I see a lot of other bands supporting a lot of other bands who are on like the same level and even right. if they're not on the same level like I see better bands supporting smaller bands mm. so I feel like we're really supportive and cohesive with each other yeah I agree yeah I think that's what's so beautiful about the art Arlington art scene specifically I'm not I do you know RBC with Fort Worth but we're kind of our own thing as well I'm not too familiar with with what Dallas has to offer much. Um, but would you say that Arlington specifically is different from mm-hmm. Fort Worth and Dallas? I would say Arlington definitely is specifically different than Fort Worth and Dallas. I feel like the vibe in Dallas is definitely... Um, it's definitely about who you know. Okay. You, have to, you do have to be pretty well connected in Dallas. Okay. Arlington, they will take a gamble on because <laughs> they just don't have. It's just it's a smaller, sleepier yeah. place, and so they'll yeah. take a gamble on you. Fort Worth, I feel like it's the same thing. It's about who you know mm-hmm. because I feel like people won't give you the same chances if you don't know certain people. Wow. Whereas Arlington or other places around, like the surrounding Metroplex, is more likely to just kind of be like, ah, oh, yeah, you sure you can sing? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we, gotcha. you're booked. Fine. Gotcha. <laughs> what what things would you like to change or see change, you know, in the in the art scene here in DF, DFW or specifically any of the cities? In Arlington. So in Arlington, I would love for the University of Arlington to participate more in our independent art scene. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be huge. Mm-hmm. And not just because it's my alma mater, but because they have so many resources mm-hmm. that go to other things like other corporations other huge huge foundations all these other things that are not local but it's like the reason why you are here is because of your location and how close in vicinity you are to all these major things like the stadium and Mm -hmm. the ballpark Mm -hmm. and um it's a great foreign exchange school so there's a lot of foreign students that come in one of the biggest foreign schools in the entire country Mm -hmm. so to me it just feels like in a way they're not utilizing the culture that's around here the way that they could and I feel like I don't want to get into humongous (laughs) trouble but I do feel like it is because of the people who run UTA like UTA's president and the people surrounding that uh, board. Okay. Okay. But I don't actually know. Right. Because um, I mean, that's, I haven't that's the only thing we them. can assume. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But I do feel like it's because of the way UTA is run, because they're always kind of like upgrading, trying to always be, always keeping up with like UT Austin, and always trying to keep mm-hmm. up as being like this huge school because right. they do want to be seen as bigger, even yeah. though they don't have like a real football team or anything like that. Right. They're trying to be like a really good STEM school. Right. But, and it's it's nerd central over there, but the one thing I realized when I was going there is that a lot of people don't leave the campus because they don't know what's out there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so, because a lot of people don't really live out here. There's some people that that transfer into UTA, Mm -hmm. not just from, um, not just from like, you know, in Texas, Mm -hmm. but like from across the country and also from across the world. Right. But people won't leave the campus because they're just like, what's even out here? What's in Texas? Da, 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 da. And yeah. like, and it can get pretty crazy in Dallas if you don't know where to go. So some people just choose never really to just like mm. really leave and create like a whole thing around there. But like, think about 
if local bands and like local acts and, and local artists and local poets made it a thing around like the college, uh, the college park yeah. hall yeah. area, or if we did it at like the university library or the, even the music library and architecture library that's across the other side of campus, like if we had made it a thing to have an open mic or to create a more mm-hmm. cohesive way where people who are not from Arlington could interact more with people who are from Arlington mm-hmm. and create that, just actually be a part of the community. Yeah. UTA is there, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's not actually a part of the community. It's just there. Right. You know, I I recently saw a thread. You may have seen the same thread. It was, yeah, you know, which one I'm talking about, um, on Facebook. And yeah, that point was definitely made, and I saw your comment on there as well. But I never really thought about it because I went to TCC, um, but I didn't really go to UTA. But now that you're, I'm hearing you talk about it, it, you're right. There are so many students at UTA, and where are they? And it's because they, the school, I guess, doesn't promote other things locally so that the students don't know about it. They just want to keep the students basically on campus to keep the money on campus. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Interesting, interesting. And they have dorms, and they have, like, all the little am- off-campus apartments. Yeah. And there's all these eateries and stuff. So, like, if wow. you go to UTA, you don't really have to ever leave Cooper Street. Yeah. Wow. But, and, yeah. and there's a lot of people that don't. Yeah. So, it's just, like, but, like, there's so much going on in the city. Like, there only, So, like, yeah, it's just, it's there, but it's not, like, a part of... Yeah. It's, like, you, you just got to be, as a student at UT, you just got to be kind of bold enough to go somewhere by yourself mm-hmm. or just really explore. Make friends. Mm-hmm. Make friends who are from here. Yep. Yeah. So, I want to talk more about your band, Iggy Meji, because y'all just dropped your first EP, <laughs> Two Trees, and the music video. Yeah. So, congratulations. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yes. Can you, Kayla, can you tell us about the journey and process for these two huge major milestones that y'all just accomplished oh gosh so for me writing songs probably takes like a day (laughs) okay yeah so like the songwriting (laughs) process is so short for me it's so short because I'm such a prolific and I'm not trying to like brag on myself or anything I really am just like you should brag on yourself I'm just prolific at this point just because I decided so long ago that I wanted to be a songwriter so I've had a lot of practice but um, so, to, like, the songwriting part, which is usually the first part, takes the shortest amount of time. The longest part is... When you say songwriting, sorry, is that the words? It's the words, it's the melody, it's the arrangement. Okay. So, it's, like, putting the song together. How do you craft a song that's got, like, verse and chorus and hook? And sometimes it may not even have any of that shit. It might mm-hmm. just be words and music. It might just be just music. So... But just, like, crafting the song itself usually doesn't take a whole lot of time. It's the perfecting the song part mm, that takes, okay. like, a really long time. Because getting Magic and Water and Great and Running to sound as good as they do on the record, that took years. <laughs> that took <laughs> really, really, really long time. And I had to take voice lessons at one point. Okay. I had to um, figure out how to sing and actually really control my voice. Hmm. Um, I had to um, 
figure out, get more comfortable playing and singing at the same time. Okay. I had wow. to, because mm-hmm, I'm a pianist, but like, mm-hmm. you know, you spend all your time playing Beethoven and Chopin and playing all these complicated pieces, but you throw the vocals over and it kind of mm-hmm. adds like an extra like layer on top mm-hmm. of all the other shit that you're doing. And so it's just like, yeah. you have to really- Multitasking. Right? It's like I had to grow like a second brain yeah. just to figure it all out in a sense, but- yeah, it's so to me like the the prepping of the song and really sussing out the song and and figuring out how do we make it sound really good. That's mm. the toughest part. That's wow. the part that takes a lot of storyboard and you know what are we doing, checklisting, arranging, okay, scratching stuff, rewriting, and yeah. So that that part can take like a, a years. So for I think for us, it really took like about a year and a half to really okay. get like going because we had to add and we added people to the band. We had mm-hmm. Jalen, we had Uzo for a while, mm-hmm. and we have Aaron. So we had to learn how to play with them, and mm-hmm. they were instrumental mm-hmm. in crafting how that sounded mm-hmm. as well. Because as you add people, this song sounds different. Mm-hmm. So then that creates like a new gotcha. layer. And so being a musically minded person, you start to create and like really concretely arrange what the parts are really supposed to sound like and then mm-hmm. once everyone's learned that part then you're probably ready to go in the studio and really just like knock it out wow give your best performance so mm-hmm. it takes takes a long time like i know we live in an era where people kind of just like go in their room with their laptop and just yeah. like record <laughs> shit and then put it up on soundcloud what <laughs> <laughs> No, no shade on that because <laughs> no some of y'all are very talented. <laughs> no shade, but yeah, like it's it's very like I still this was my first time really just like I'm gonna create yeah an EP. We have multiple yeah. songs. We're really gonna do this. We're basically gonna do our own like production, but we're also gonna have people helping us. Right. And we're also going to record demos and we're gonna see how those sound. And then when I'm gonna. Me being like the perfectionist that I am, which I sometimes hate. I feel just, like, like most pianists are uh, perfectionists. It, yeah, no, mm-hmm. and like especially with like when I got to college, um, my piano professor was South Korean, and she was very heavy <laughs> on perfection, mm-hmm. very heavy on. I could have played a passage with the right rhythm but if I hit the wrong note it was wrong and wow. I had to start over. Oh my god. If it well, if I didn't press the key with the right level of articulation it mm-hmm. was wrong and I had to it was just very like micromanaged. Wow. Yeah. And so when you do that for like three years because I took lessons for her with her for like three years, your brain right. kinda creates this like roadmap of this is the road that you take to make mm-hmm. sure that this is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And so I tried not to have that so much with Iggy Meggie, but old habits. So I had to like kind of soften that up because it's not classical. <laughs> We're playing yeah. jazz and neo soul and rock and roll and R&B and all this stuff. So like I softened it to where it's just like, I can accept that, but I can't accept this vocal right. run right here. That doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. This could be better. Um, I feel like if I sing this with more passion, for me, it was really the vocals and some of the instrumentation. For Lottie, it, a lot of it was the drum things that were going on on the record. He, he still kind of feels weird about some of the way that the drum stuff came out. Uh, but for me, it was what I was mostly hearing on the demos was just, is this song cohesive? Am I 
entertained the entire time. And mind you, this is a song I've heard a billion times. Right. But am I entertained this entire time? And do I feel like that this is like a record that other people would want to listen to? Mm-hmm. This is the big thing each time. Like, do I feel like other people would actually listen to this? If the answer was no, then we had to go back in the studio. Wow. And there was really no convincing me otherwise. <laughs> like, I don't feel like people will listen to this. Let's just go back. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's time. Let's just go back. Let's just book more time. What? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you heard me correctly. Yes. I love that. I actually, that's so refreshing to hear because there are so many artists that, that I know that, um, and even in any art, really, are there self-taught? And so for you to be classically trained, you have that mentality of like uh, someone who's been taught, you know, a student this entire time and you have certain expectations and a lot of music um, nowadays and in our community is, is very kind of freestyle. And so it's very interesting to see, to hear your process through it all. Um, and I can totally relate because I, I'm like part trained on cameras, part freestyle. And so, like, for me with photography, I'm a perfectionist, and there's certain things that I do, and, like, I hate editing. I hate doing, like, stuff that, Um, yeah, I really don't like editing. I like, like, if it's something I made, it's, like, my film camera mentality. I'm just, like, Uh I'm, like, old school. Mm -hmm. I love, like, you know, just, like, old school stuff where you don't have to do too much. Mm -hmm. And I'm, like, if I can't get the shot without editing it, then it's not worth it. Because it's pure. Exactly. I'm a purist. Yes. Yes. You're a purist. You have to catch the moment. I get that with photography, too. Uh Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you and I have that kind of similarity in different art forms. So that's really cool to hear. Um, what other obstacles, other than the multiple times having to go back on the to the studio, did y'all deal with during the, the process? Oh God, I'm gonna get into it. Uh, Uzo was probably the biggest oh. obstacle. <laughs> I'm sorry if he's no, listening to this. I have totally forgot that <clears throat> that 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 happened while y'all were kind of in the midst of everything. He literally was Aww. the other biggest, like outside of like, cause that's just the songwriting process, the whole thing with the arranging. But like, when people don't show up to studio sessions, and you told them months ago, and. Mm should have had that reliable yeah like should have had that on the calendar and it wasn't just that he would miss studio sessions he would miss gigs too oh. so it was just like a myriad of like little things it's like we can't move forward if we don't have bass and you just are unreachable sometimes and then mm-hmm. when we, you would finally show up you would not have always the best like reason for why you oh. just dipped and so like it just kind of kept happening and we're just like this isn't this is an obstacle because yeah. like we can't keep having this happen. We can't just you can't just keep leaving us on red. Yeah. And then That's just like really coming bad. and then just like coming back whenever you feel like it. Like dog, we have money yeah, to make. This so, is a business. It's a business. <laughs> so like if if this was Applebee's, you would have gotten fired right. by now. So like <laughs> So we just that really was the biggest obstacle. Okay. Just like and I felt bad about it because like and I still do consider Uzo as a, as a friend. Mm-hmm. I, if I saw him on the street, I would still say hi. I would still ask how he was doing, and I would still hope that he was doing well and that he was in a good period of his life, you know, despite everything. Because I do, like, he is a good person, genuinely, right. on the inside. However, <laughs> like, consistency is huge. Yeah. And that's something that so many artists I've met 
really don't care about. It's like that whole image of just like, I don't care about anything. I just kind of show up whenever I want to yeah. and make art. And it's just like, yeah. that's only in the movies. That's only in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> only in the movies. And no. So, mm -hmm. and, and I, I, I don't like working with people like that. Yeah. Because in order to really grow as a musician, and this is something I learned as a pianist, in order to grow as anything, you have to be consistent. You have to put in a certain amount of hours. Right. And you have to show up to things. If you have a recital booked and you don't show up for the recital, you let yourself down, you let people in the audience down, you let anyone else that you're playing with down, yeah. and you just kind of, you, you create this environment around yourself that is can be very self-depreciating. Like it can, mm -hmm. it can mess with your head. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it in the classical world where people will just feel like, they're not good enough and so they won't show up to things or they'll quit or they'll I mean all a myriad of all kinds of things and yeah. because it's just so it is it's it's really competitive in the classical world that's really the main reason why I didn't say is because it's just it's so competitive I was never gonna be I was never gonna be um I, I was never gonna be uh Valentina Lucida, for instance. I was never going to be... Um, Ivanjin Kissin. I was never going to okay. be Vladimir Horowitz. I was never going to be... I was never going to be the greatest. <laughs> I'm not even saying their names all the way correct. There's so many. Martha Argrich. I was never going to be these people that I was listening to. Mm. Like, it just was not... I would be blessed if I could have been... If I... You know, my goal is still to be able to play as well as a concert pianist, and there's many mm -hmm. moments where I do, but, like, you know, if you can't maintain that, you have nowhere to go mm -hmm. in classical world. Mm -hmm. So it can create a mentality around you that's really self-depreciating. You start to feel your self-worth start to oh, fall okay. like, I got down. And so... you're comparing yourself. A lot. Mm -hmm. And comparison is the thief of joy. Right, And right. at one point, I had to, like, write that down somewhere mm -hmm. when I was in these practice rooms. And so, so, so like, sorry, I got off on this tangent. And what was the question? The I forget now. Um, obstacles. We really were just talking about obstacles. obstacles. Yeah. So I mean, one of the obstacles really is just like the self depreciation. Like oh, okay. people really do talk themselves out of yeah. EPs, albums, singles, just from doing the damn thing. Yeah. And like, yep. This is a like pop music really like any music outside of classical music is so like it is so you're so free to do what you want the only thing is that you're it's over it's really oversaturated there's a lot of competition but you're so free to do what you want you don't have to have all these crazy ass rules where people judge you because you didn't play a particular note or a particular passage a certain way <laughs> and there's all this grandeur and there's all this like just tight tight purest tradition yeah stuff i gotcha <laughs> where we just you know it's 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 so like classical world is just so looking back on it now it's so weird and like it's very okay so just yeah. from an insider because or an outsider i mean because i'm not a musician um it's very elitist mm -hmm. and bougie mm -hmm. <laughs> and, oh no you're totally right it is very elitist and it is very bougie like i used to go to um 
the Fort Worth like um, Bass Hall mm-hmm. to watch. I watched the uh, Van Cliburn competition one year, and I got a chance to see the winner. Not when he won, but he won in the next round because they do it in rounds. Mm-hmm. And it was the most. And I knew the piece that he was playing, and it was the best interpretation I had ever heard of that particular piece ever. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Trying to get perfect. And, like, <laughs> it's, like, I'm not a nerd about a whole lot of things. Yeah. Like, but that really got you excited. But, but like, I am a nerd about classical music, and so, like, it, it's it's so, it is so, it's, it's, there's so much to it, and, and there's so much that happens when you play, you know, or when you are are trying to express a piece that's been around for like 150 whatever mm. years and everyone has played it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, it's it's and then you have pop music, rock music, mm. R&B music all the way over here where it's like you're you can play all these covers and, you know, pay your rent or you can make your own stuff. And making your own stuff is a gamble, but mm. it's just so. I, I that's probably the biggest obstacle I've seen people get through, is outside of myself, because and, and 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 with myself as well, is because I for the longest time y'all told I, y'all heard me. I didn't have the balls to go <laughs> up there and play my own stuff, and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I just you will talk yourself out of all kinds of things yeah. just because you don't think you're good enough right, ever right. and comparison really is the thief of joy yeah and understanding that you are unique you are you mm-hmm. and the music industry is craving authenticity authenticity right. yep all the time so in a world where so many people are trying to copy, like, there's about 50 billion different rappers now that sound like the baby. <laughs> okay? Like, everyone now sounds like the baby yeah. in Migos. In a world where everyone is that, I, I've been in places where I've heard music execs and A&Rs and people say, we just want something that is brand new so that we can take a hold of that craft that and sell that and you know but they're always craving new shit yeah so if you have that craft it build Mm -hmm. it make it you know turn it into your baby because that's going to be worth money one day yeah i totally agree with you and that's those are great words of advice i do feel like a lot of especially with social media these days and you know, we'll talk more about social media here in a little bit, but with everything being so cookie cutter these days, everyone looks the same, acts the same, dresses the same, talks the same because of social media, honestly, and the media in general. I think that is a missing piece is just being genuine, being authentic, and just being a human being mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to express yourselves genuinely. And people love that. People love real. Like, the more, like, the older I get, the more I see just more of our society craving realness. Like, Mm -hmm. people, like, I can see people even just kind of turning against influencers and being like, this is bullshit, this is fake, this isn't even real. And Mm -hmm. people crave real so much. A lot of people fall fall into, like, a... I mean, people will follow other people just because they feel like they're real or because they 
put out a projection of being real, right. but it's like this perfectly curated mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we just, I don't know. It's like we live in a world where, and this is how I came up with my name too. It's like we live in a world oh. that's so fragile, but it's so fake at the same time. Plastic China, because mm-hmm. China is a material that's so fragile. Like mm-hmm. you ever flipped a China plate off the table and it cracks everywhere mm-hmm. and your mom gets mad. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's plastic, it's not going to break, but it's fake. It's plastic. It's not as valuable. It's just kind of like not... not meant to last I mean it will last but people don't want it and so we just we're we're always people are always looking for that that authenticism because they want to see themselves in other people exactly they want them to be relatable Mm -hmm. yeah yeah gosh and so I want to talk more about um, you know we've been talking about your creative process um, with your art and everything Um, you've mentioned you know, briefly that, that you had a, um, a relationship where you wrote music with, with someone, um, and they were going through a lot mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk about, you know, if, if there is a link between mental illness and and art and, Um. you know, your thoughts on that? I feel like there totally is. And honestly, part of it is because like, um, so I, I've struggled with mental illness for the vast majority of my life. I um, remember very distinctly being very sad, like mm-hmm. sadder than normal, and I was in like first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, my circumstances, I was the only black child in a white class, mm-hmm. and it stayed that way for a very long time. But even outside of that, even when I got to a place where I was, you know, in a school with other black kids and I was in a sea of black kids, it was still, so I've always been distinctly sad. Mm. Um, And as one therapist put it, hyper aware at a very young Mm. age. And so as I grew up, I always tended to gravitate towards that kind of thing. I, I remember growing up and like being very, I remember like, I can't remember how old I was. I was probably like, I want to say around that same age, six or seven and being like really connected somehow to Kurt Cobain, just like out of everybody. Like my mom loved Michael Jackson, but the first time I ever heard Nirvana, I was like, who is that? Wow. But, and then, like, somehow always gravitating to more music like that. When I was a teenager, listened mm-hmm. to a ton of emo music. Mm-hmm. Taking Back Sunday, mm-hmm. Brand New, Sunny Day Real Estate, Texas is the Reason, Page 99, God, who else? Norma Jean, just, like, anything that screamed, yelled, and expressed pain. <laughs> and then, of course, when I got to college, Beethoven, who is, if you've, if you've studied his life, very depressed man. Mm. Chopin, again, very depressed man. Those are my two favorite composers. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I feel like there is a link between great artistry and people who are sad. I mean, um, Van Gogh Mm. is another great example. As like, he made this amazing art, but he was clinically depressed, very mentally ill. Yeah. Gosh, I could probably think of like more people. Yeah. <laughs> I really sat down and thought about it. But like, 
I really do feel like there is a link between the creative brain and being sad. Yeah, I agree with you. I really do. I hear so many, when I talk to artists, like even on, on Instagram posts or Tumblr posts, I'm like, I hear so many people and I've said it myself too. I write better when I'm sad or depressed. Right. And I don't know what it is. I feel like whenever we are sad and depressed, we're like, I feel like, for, at least for me, whenever I'm sad and depressed and I'm, I feel this inspiration to create a song, it's like I'm, the lyrics flow out of me because it's like a part of my soul that is able to kind of speak now mm, okay. in a way that is, that the subconscious brain tends to speak, which is in metaphors and all this figurative symbolic stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. And so that's why it comes out as art. Because a lot of art is very figurative, it's very symbolic, it's very metaphorical. Mm. <clears throat> and so that's why I think artistry and sadness kind of go yeah. together. It's just, it's just when you're comfortable in that, you're just able to just be like, you know, what? I'm just going to be real and just let out mm. this pain because pain is probably one of the most I mean it's not only is it just the most common human emotion it is an emotion that is it, it it's deep isn't even the word for, it's just something that moves beyond right. like humanity in a way mm-hmm. it's like everything can kind of feel mm-hmm. that everything and so, because <clears throat> I think that's sometimes why it's so much easier. And that's probably why we hear so much sad music, yeah. too. Unless, like, because we just live in a society that's really, it is very sad. Like, mm-hmm. our society as a whole is dealing with a lot of mental illness, a yeah. lot of self-image problems, a lot of self-esteem stuff, a mm-hmm. lot of wanting to find ourselves. And so I think that's why so many people vibe with that mm-hmm. feeling of sadness, wanting to find yourself, needing being lost, needing cl- yeah, mm-hmm. needing clarity, being lost, mm-hmm. being apathetic, not caring. You know, nothing is everything is nothing, and nothing is you know whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and I used to live in that feeling for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I in my early twenties, especially, is when it was really bad. Or I just used to live in this feeling of like nothing matters at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. and you know who gives a fuck about anything who gives a fuck about my life who gives a fuck about your life like whatever we're mm-hmm. all just gonna die anyway like, right right i was it, there too it's it just like and and it was and it was an authentic feeling it wasn't like i was feeling this way in the name of like art or anything or poserish it was just i really was just like and still sometimes i am just in a very manically depressed state yeah. where you aren't thinking clearly because you're you you just you haven't you're hanging too much on one perspective Mm -hmm. of of life and not letting yourself look at other things and then some people have and the other thing is I feel is because like we do tend to romanticize a lot of pain Mm -hmm. and beauty and and kind of create this image of like pain and depression and yeah like I remember growing up the big thing this was awful but the big thing was kids would like cut themselves and like post about it online and so that was a thing when I was growing up so I grew up 
really with all these images of romanticized violence, right. self-afflicted violence, right. Um, right. depression being very cool, mm-hmm. um, doing a lot of drugs and blacking out and mm-hmm. just like not giving a fuck about whatever. Yeah. yeah again very cool just like acting like yeah. nothing cared like nothing, nothing matters like, yeah i remember that phase too and i i don't know where it came from but i want to say it was during the myspace era uh, it definitely started on myspace yeah for sure. it was it was somewhere along that time like 2005 2006 mm-hmm. era and i remember that scene scene was in seeing mm-hmm. kids you know cutting themselves um you know, talking about, like, heartbreak all the time, even Constantly. though we probably didn't even know what love was at the time. I mean, right. It's, it's just, yeah, I don't know where that came from, and I wonder if it's because of, like, in the past, like, you know, this isn't a new thing where we're romanticizing pain, because you mentioned, like, Beethoven and Chopin, those are mm-hmm. from long time ago, and at, even Edgar Allan Poe, like, his stuff was so sad. Yeah, it's another time. one. Yeah. Again. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's because society has always, even back in the day, has always put up a front of like everything's perfect, um, status and money is everything. Mm -hmm. And so you never get to hear about like what people actually go through. And so I I think that's where it's it's now bleeding out into our history that we're making right now. That's pretty much what makes an artist really is just that going against the grain of society. Yeah. That's what makes artistry. And so, yeah, that's like, yeah. That's yeah. literally it. It's just when anytime someone just decides... And this was, like, a huge thing growing up with me, too. Like, my mom used to be so, like, irritated with me because I was always going against the grain of everything. Yeah, I was same. always sitting <laughs> up for the underdog. I was yeah. always... I, I always... And it was... My mom used to think I would do it on purpose, but it was, like, it wasn't even, like, I was purposely right. doing it. I'm just <laughs> trying to be, like, I'm just trying to be me. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to express myself, mom. I'm just trying to express myself. I'm just to be me. It's my face. And it's just, it, that's what really makes people an artist is just when they decide. I think, I've, I read this quote once. It said, art is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. Mm, mm, I like that. And so for the longest time, and I still do feel this way, I lived my life in that vein because honestly, the music I make with Iggy Meji is so profoundly different Mm. than the music I normally make Mm. because I'm a horror movie fan. Oh, me too. I, (laughs) I, I don't mind seeing gore and depth and death. I... I used to watch a lot of obscure indie films mm. that were just about awful things. I oh no, <laughs> like I I'm one of those weirdos where it's just like oh this was like a snuff film. Oh, How do no. I find so, it? Like so you've seen a Serbian film then I'm guessing. Oh, I've heard of it. I've never okay, seen okay. it. I, I haven't seen it either, but I've read yeah. a lot about it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's stuff like that where I'm just like one of those. You just like I'm just yeah. one of those weirdos where it's just like man I used to. <laughs> sit alone in my apartment just like read just the most obscene stuff and be like yeah. oh my god that's so fascinating let me scroll yeah more. It's just like, <laughs> wow it's just i think it, it comes down to like it i don't know if you feel the same way but it's like the psychology of it like what makes someone think like that like are they sad what happened to them in the past that made them this way why would they do that and you just kind of go on this like loop of like 
the sadness and the pain. Or to... what makes someone create something like a Serbian oh, yeah. film? Because it's just like, what what makes mm. you think that, like, I don't even want to get into the detail of what I is know. in that film. Yeah, exactly. You can Google it, because I'm not going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, what compels someone to create <laughs> something so vile? Yeah, really. Really. It's Honestly, like, that movie is sick. I have not seen it, but I've read it, and it's, yeah. What compels someone to create <laughs> things that are vile? But then I always go back to that quote, like, oh. does it make, does this mean that the Serbian film or anything like that, right. songs that are like that or in that vein or songs that are about sadness and hurt and, you know, all this pain, is, does that mean that it's not art? Mm. Because it's still a movie. Yeah. None of those things are actually happening for real for real. Yeah. Yeah. That's that fine line between art and not art and, and just bad. And just bad. Yeah. And, and then I always go back to that quote. It's like, in some way, because I really do believe this, art should challenge yeah. how you feel. Yeah. Like, have you ever seen the the um, the photo Piss Christ? I don't think so. You'll have to show me. I'll show you. Yeah. Um, afterwards. Afterwards. But... There's this, I forgot who took the picture, but it's a, it's a picture, like it's a photography art piece and someone had peed in, I think a glass, the artist, the photographer had peed in a glass and he put like a little rosary or a little statue of Jesus in it. Oh, wow. And I think it's called Piss Christ or Piss Jesus, something like that. Mm -hmm. And he displayed the art somewhere and people were angry. Mm -hmm. But it challenges, it challenges the sacredness. Yeah the sacredness around um around the image of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. around how we feel about mm-hmm. the things that come with that purity yeah. mm-hmm. um being saved mm-hmm. um a higher power mm-hmm. having faith mm-hmm. purpose gotcha. all of these things and you put it in something that is human excrement right and then people get very challenged and charged by that but mm-hmm. my favorite pieces of art are art that challenges and creates some sort of discomfort and that's probably why I like horror movies so much mm. is because there's so many movies that are willing to at least challenge yeah what we're actually comfortable with yeah and make us face that and sit it in our face and be like how does this make you feel right because in a way your reaction to that is part of the art yeah wow that is that's deep, and that's what art is. It's freaking deep. <laughs> it's, so it's so deep, bro. Deep. It's so deep. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, Kayla, um, and then we'll come back and talk about some some other topics about art here. So we'll be right back, y'all. All right, everyone. So we are back here with. Kayla Scales, aka Plastic China Doll, and um, we're we just finished talking about uh, different things in in art, such as mental illness, and just kind of blew our minds just now with with a couple different realizations we both had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about another subject in the art industry, and really in in a lot of different industries is is sexism. Um, what are your thoughts on sexism in your industry specifically? It's super prevalent in like every aspect of it, even mm. in like the classical world. I mean, wow, it's extremely common because <clears throat> I don't. I mean, 
music in general for the longest time was a man's arena mm-hmm. and especially in like the westernized world it was a white man's arena mm-hmm. and so even to this day I still see a lot of fragmentations about that where it's like since like hip hop it seems like let's take Nicki Minaj for instance mm-hmm. I always ask men you know do you consider Nicki Minaj to be one of the greatest rappers of all time just to gauge their responses okay. I've only met one guy who is an artist who is a rapper himself who said yes every other male rapper I've ever asked has been like oh hell no how could you say that she's uh, I mean she's good or whatever but like she's not one of the greatest of all time I like why why do you feel that way mm. well she's just you know I mean she's not really like a rapper mm. why Mm-hmm. Why is she not a rapper? Well, she doesn't really have bars. She doesn't have bars? I mean, I could quote like you... Ricky, right. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I think we could yeah. all quote a few Nicki Minaj lyrics right, right now. So, clearly she has some bars. What yeah. else? And it's always these reasons they come up with in their brain about why certain people, and it almost always is women, mm-hmm. should not receive the same accolades as men in their same arena. Wow. And so I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of people really think of it that way or see it that way. I feel like sometimes I see that that way because I'm like looking to right. pry and poke. I getcha. But at the same time, I really sit back and I think about it. And I'm like, no, like if yeah. the, if if Nicki Minaj was a guy, exactly. I mean, yeah, she she would be one of the greatest rappers ever. Exactly, because she really is talented. Yeah. And, and I always think about it this way. It's like, if this person was a man, how much more clout, how much more, how much more of their, um, how much more seriously would they be taken? Right, right. How much more seriously would they be taken? Because I feel like so many times when a woman does something, it's like we have to do it, but then we have to add sex appeal to it mm. in order for people to listen. And if we don't mm. add the sex appeal mm-hmm. to it, Mm-hmm. Then we're prudes, or we're too conscious, mm-hmm. or we're not sexual, or we're too spiritual, or we're too this, or we're too mm-hmm. that. And then if we do add sex appeal to it, we're hoes and bitches. Right. And <laughs> and so in the sea of all of that, when we're just objects, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, that's what on both sides of this is. It's like it doesn't matter if you're a prude or if you're a hoe. It's this mindset of we're not really. People yeah, we're not a human we're, being. We're yeah. objects. Mm-hmm. And when people hear Kendrick Lamar rap, he's mm-hmm. a person mm-hmm. talking about his experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if Nicki Minaj says it, she's not mm-hmm. a person. She's right. right. It all goes down to, yeah, like, they they always... It's so crazy. Like, m- like men, like male rappers can talk about having like all these hoes quote-unquote hoes or like you know how a bunch of girls and whatnot but like whenever a woman even with like Megan the Stallion mm-hmm. and, and, and everything talk or talk about their sexuality so suddenly it's inappropriate it's disgusting it's or you know, whatever yeah talking about having sex for money or talking yeah. about like caring about a man with status or he can't have me if he has a Birkin like it's always oh women with these wrong priorities right but y'all sitting over here flashing money mm-hmm. buying lamborghinis mm-hmm. chains that you can't really afford and you have all these women yeah. with you but 
They're talking about the same thing. It's but just literally the same thing. Yeah. It is actually the same yeah. thing. It's crazy. But, like, because of where it's coming from and who is saying it mm-hmm. is where people are like, uh-uh, you, you can't feel that way. How mm-hmm. dare you? Mm-hmm. How dare the city girls talk about act up, <laughs> snatching people? You know what I'm saying? Like, how dare they talk about, you know, sleeping with dudes only for money? Mm-hmm. You know, how dare they talk about yeah. status and wanting to look good and have all this money? How dare they? Right. How dare they have this braggadocio, this mm. male attitude, this alpha mm. maleness about mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. It's so unfeminine. Right. That's all I hear whenever people say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you personally dealt with with sexism and can you tell us more about it i feel like the times where i've dealt with sexism in music it's always been because people don't seem to take me they, they tend to undermine what i can actually right. do and they don't mm-hmm. know the wide range of yep. all the things i can do like I, I went to school for audio so mm-hmm. i actually do know how to hook up a doll, get the mic going, get the interface going, plug everything up so mm-hmm. all the channel paths are right and then boom, we're ready to record. You know, people don't realize I have all this experience in music theory and that I know how to read music and actually can sight read and mm-hmm. you know, people don't recognize that I know you know what you know key something is in or yeah. I can tell them so much about all this music like People don't usually know that. And so, like, sometimes I'll find myself in situations where people will literally just ignore me. Really? And only talk to Lottie. <gasps> oh. And it happens a lot. Okay. I getcha. <laughs> and it's like, the reason why they're talking to Lottie is because he's this big music guy and he talks a good, you know, he's he's obviously everything wow. that he says he's about. You know, he's an awesome guitar right. player. He's a fantastic songwriter. He's right. an amazing vocalist. He's super uber talented. But here I am with all this boat of information yeah. that I could honestly tell people about and, you know, help y'all with, but y'all wouldn't know that because y'all don't say nothing to me. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I mean, so it's just kind of like, okay, sure, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's it's crazy because I even see myself having done that in the past. And maybe it's because I, I knew Lottie a little more than you mm-hmm. just from me working with him. But, like, you know, I remember one time you and I actually had, sat down and had a conversation. I was like, I was like, I literally was like, I didn't even, like, know Kayla had so much to say. But I... I know. I, <laughs> I know. And, like, part of it is because Lottie is such a huge personality. And I'm really, I'm really quiet. Like, y'all okay. heard me talk about, like... I'm just a little weirdo and a nerd. <laughs> like, I like weird shit. And, like, I'm always so <laughs> awkward. And I always have thoughts going on in my brain that, like, it, it's, it's like, it's not like they're really bad or evil things, but it's mm-hmm. just always so against the grain. Okay. And I feel like when I was younger, I would be so ready to let that stuff out. And I would always be so prepared for people's reactions. And a lot of times mm-hmm. people would just be like, I'm so shocked by how weird you are. I like you. And for the longest time, that was my thing. I was just like the weird black girl. But then as I got older and I started to actually care more about being palatable and liked, and I think that's what really did it, I started shutting up. And so people don't really know me very well because of that, because I don't talk a lot. I'm not this huge personality. Mm -hmm. I don't 
feel like I should have to fight for attention right. and I don't like fighting for attention. Yeah. If you want to speak to me, you can like totally speak to me, yeah. but sometimes it also hurts cuz it's like I don't like being looked over, yeah. ignored, only seen as like a side piece, only yeah. seen as like beautiful and like nothing else. And right. it's just like, man, I've like all these things to me like I mean I don't even really think I'm that amazing but I know I have this like depth of well of just like information about stuff yeah that's why I'm glad you're here on the podcast (laughs) you know to to be able to learn more about you and stuff and really have the the scene know more about you too because that is in itself part of that sexism that we're talking about is that you know immediate like like what you just said it doesn't even matter that I've known you or Lottie but like for anybody when when someone walks into a room and they see like two people right there that are in a band or whatever they're gonna immediately go to the guy or really in any situation like if if there's a like there have been so many times where just as a personal story like people overlook me because they didn't realize i was the manager and they go to the dude that's next to me that's been working there for two days and it's super common it's yeah it happens all the time and so what what ways do you think we can change that Truthfully, I don't know because this is just a microcosm, like the of the bigger problem within our society with the way that we just view women. Like mm-hmm. we constantly put women in roles where we are just these beautiful pieces. Right. Again, we're t- like it's always like we don't have much to say. We're not yeah. human. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. always just goes back to we're not human beings. We're not seen as human beings in mm-hmm. movies. We're not human beings, and if we are, we're kind of portrayed in, in these ways that are just not. You know, we're either like the pixie dream girl or we're like right, the, right. we're just, we're something that's just so not, not, not human. We're not human beings. And so yeah. that's the way I feel like I get treated sometimes in, in this, you know, in the DFW art scene and music mm-hmm. scene is like, I'm not really seen as like a human being. I have to like push and shove and fight for mm-hmm. people to even understand yeah who I am and then it's just then I get really unmotivated because I'm just like I don't want to fight I don't want I don't have to do this I'm I'm, I just want to make stuff because I've always made things I've never not made things and so I don't even know how to live without being creative Mm -hmm. and so but at the same time back to being palatable and being well liked and understanding the card that you're dealt with being like physically good looking and all Mm -hmm. this it's like you kind of have to play the game, unfortunately, mm, yeah. because yep. you said the phrase. Yep. it's that's just what it is, and it's like yep. I certainly can't change that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be little old me that's going to be able to change the whole thing because mm-hmm. it's hundreds of years of this thinking, and we're only just now getting to a point where minorities and LGBTQ and non-binary people and all these different layers and minorities of people are starting to speak up and say, hey, we have feelings and yeah, we are here. Yeah. And, and it's only, we're only just now getting to this point. So we're having to revert. And like, even as this is happening, so many people are kicking and screaming and saying, no, what do you mean? <laughs> You're people. Yeah. Like, there's so many people. I, I find so many men, cishet men mm-hmm. specifically, kicking and screaming at the idea of any of these things, especially the idea that 
women are people. <laughs> right, right. So it's just like, right. it's just, it's so, I don't even know how it would possibly change because we have hundreds of years of literature, movies, mm-hmm. art, music that literally paint this for us mm-hmm. over and over. It's saturated in our society. Yeah. It's basically, I don't want to say it's permanent, but it feels permanent. Yeah, it, it really does. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever going to change. Because every time, every time we raise this notion, we're men bashers and we're, we're, we're too emotional, we're, we're, uh, you're too, yeah, too emotional, too sensitive, you're not looking at it correctly, Mm -hmm. well, you just don't, you don't, you don't understand because you look like this, you react like this, so you're Mm -hmm. like this, Mm -hmm. so you know, you are like that too. So, you know, how can you, you're a hypocrite and it always gets turned around in some way where it's like, we're not, again, like we are allowed to be more than one thing. Right. We're allowed to be sexual. We're allowed Mm -hmm. to be prudish. We're allowed Mm -hmm. to like, and even in those terms, like it's not even about being sexual or being prudish. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just about being a person. Right having a multitude of emotions at any time in our lives yeah and changing and being able to change and being able to be complex and but like like men are given that license over and over and over again women are never given this license Mm -hmm. ever and the older i've gotten the more i've gone into music the louder this gets where Mm. it's just like i'm not given this license i'm never going to be given this license Mm. if i want to be seen this way i have to take it and make people see me this way and so it's been this whole battle of do i care enough to make people see me this way yeah so if you see me on a show and i just kind of don't stand (laughs) out i mean it's not like personal i know some people think i'm just bored sometimes i really am just like (laughs) you know a little faded but it's just like it's more of just a simple fact that it's just like i don't have that same motivation like deep deep down within the core of me is always going to be that weird black girl that listens to emo music, mm-hmm. likes horror movies, mm-hmm. researching serial killers online. Yeah. Yeah. It, she's always going to be there. She's yeah. So, like, it's so hard for her to really be like, why? Why do I want it? Why? Why do I have to do this part? Yeah. And I'm, I gotcha. I'm still trying to convince her, like, you have to, honey. Like, this is just the way it is. And okay. she's still on the inside saying, why? And I'm like, so you're kind of having this internal <laughs> struggle with you. It's <laughs> with like, why? It's like, I don't know. They're yeah. telling you to. Well, that yeah. sounds stupid. Well, I'm sorry. Like- <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's definitely, um, I will say though, that I have met so many, um, like so many black women who are, who have the same interests as you. And I think that's something that's becoming more, more prevalent and people are being more open about that too. It's so funny because you get to get picked on so hard for it. Right? I used to get picked on so hard <laughs> in middle school. And now it's like a Oh god. A thing. It's a thing. And, and honestly, when I first started noticing it, it's like, wait, 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 when was it cool to like anime? Yeah. Because if you liked this stuff when I was growing up and the jocks or the popular kids that wore Abercrombie and Fitch yes, every day in school found yes, out there was yes. an anime table that you were regulated to. And if right. you left that fucking table, <laughs> your ass was grass <laughs> next time they saw you. Like, if you dared look in yeah. the direction of, <laughs> yeah. it was done. Like, so, and 
Bruh, it was, and it was always like other, it, a lot of the times, it wasn't always other black kids, but a lot of times it was other black kids, like, hurt bullying oh, the other black kids who were right. into the emo and the anime and who wore their hair weird and had mm-hmm. the converses and it's like, so it was like, it was the, the divide a little bit yeah, in my school. I, I mean, I was one of the few, but like, we were really, we're regu- regulated pretty much to that. Mm-hmm sector wow. we weren't really allowed to like oh fraternize gosh. too hard because like they would clown on you and shit oh, yeah. like you were just the butt of every single joke mm-hmm. you had to accept that you had yeah. you were literally there to be laughed at i gotcha man school was tough you know i think about school and i was also a weird girl um and it, it was really stressful like you you went to school knowing you were gonna get ragged on like mm-hmm. and it was stressful and like it's it's crazy how like you know some people compare schools to prisons and i agree it is yeah. because you're forcing all these people all these little children together with all these different hormones all these different lifestyles you know where they came from how their parents treat them and you're just forcing them all together mm-hmm. and not realizing the consequences that them all being together can cause like every, it, it naturally they create a click Mm-hmm. And it's like survival of the fittest. Have, yes, yes. <laughs> the click is literally created just so you will survive and have yeah. some sort of support system to go to, so that in case something actually does happen to you, you have backup, right? which is actually insane. <laughs> so. so crazy. <laughs> it is so crazy, and you know, I don't know how it is now because it's been so long since I was in like middle school, which was the worst time of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. With um, with social media, I always wondered if bullying's a lot worse because of you know accessibility. Like when after school, you would be able to go home and oh kind God. of forget about everything, mm-hmm. and now it's cyberbullying. Even when I was growing up, even because like in middle school we had Zanga. Oh yeah, I love Zanga. We had Zanga, <laughs> and we had my and like a little bit later we had MySpace. Like mm-hmm. like literally the last half of middle school, like eighth grade. Um, MySpace is what showed up, and we started using MySpace from that point on, and then, you know, Facebook and blah, blah, blah. So, for me, like, I've never, I don't, I've never, like, the, it's outside of elementary school, that was probably the last time, the last phase of my life where I was able to just go home from school, and Mm. that was it. Mm. No more bullying. Yeah. No more people making fun of me. I didn't have, because I got beat up in elementary school, too. Oh, yeah. Physical bullying? Oh, Oh, yes. It was physical bullying. I, like, so, in elementary school, I was the only, one of the only black kids in the white school. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) There was a lot of racially charged yeah. stuff that Jeez. happened Jeez, that's that, scary that i only realized was really truly racially charged right later yeah i, I didn't you. understand the motivation for why these kids were picking on me yeah i because every time i it would be brought up or anything it would always be like well that's just kids yes that's just how they are yes any adult that saw it that's just kids this is right. how they are, they are. Right. They're, they're literally beating up on the only black girl here right <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's racist that's crazy oh my gosh it starts so young mm-hmm. you know and that's traumatic let's circle back to to the sexism in in art um because we got off on a, a different yeah. tangent <laughs> yeah um so in what ways do you would you say that these incidents um have affected you as an artist and as a person oh god <laughs> <laughs> i know it's heavy <laughs> uh, as an 
artist, it hasn't really done anything except for fuel my art. Mm. Like, it's only made me just want to go in my closet more and just become more and more of a badass. Because it's just like, well, if y'all don't fuck with me, it's okay. Because I know I have a lot to offer. And Mm. I know that, you know, my art is always going to be good. And because I know I'm a naturally creative person. I was literally, Mm. like, born an artist. But, Mm. like, so... In that aspect, it's done that for me, but it's also really, really frustrated me. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't quite made me bitter, but it's just made me more of just like, you know, unmotivated in some ways. Okay. Motivated in some ways to like impress, like I have to show up looking a certain way. I have to show up kind of being like the beautiful side piece in a sense. Mm. Unmotivated in a certain way where it's just like you know, do do I even really care about truly getting to know anybody? Because mm. I already know no one really gives a shit about getting to know me. Wow. So it really makes me kind of put these blinders on and just like, well, if you don't see me as a person, I'm not going to see you as a person. Mm. So okay. we're just doing business at this point. Okay, gotcha. Whereas, okay. like, for instance, I see Lottie and he's, like, creating all these friendships and relationships with people where it's just like, ah, oh, yes, we're friends, we're texting back and forth, all this, mm. you know, but it's like, with me, it's just like, well, I'm, you know, Mm-hmm. And it's here, so like it kind of de- demotivates me to really become friends with anyone in the scene. Cause it's just like, I mean, you I just feel like you don't have that connection, or don't have that connection. Mm-hmm. Maybe not really seen as like you know, with any thoughts in my head. Again, they're pretty privilege is a thing, for sure. Thousand and one percent, pretty privilege is a thing. But the backside of pretty privilege is that people just think you're stupid. I'm serious. Okay, I got you. <laughs> like, the back end of pretty privilege is people literally think right. you are just an airheaded like you don't ass. Have a brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Person. You don't, I don't have a brain. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like I can sense that out of people. Like, I'm already getting that judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, I might as well just play into that because, like, certainly me being smart is not going to make me sound any better and sometimes when I am when it's revealed that I am smart yeah or that I do have a lot to offer or I can or I do know a lot about, about a particular subject it comes off as bitchy mm. so that's because they're uh, not they're, they're not ready for it not ready yeah. not ready for opinions not ready yeah. for me to say well I wouldn't you know I would actually you know do this afterwards or I would you know no 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 who the fuck asked you bitch like it's mm. always comes with this air of just like like, where did that come from? Where did that, that come yeah. from? First of all, I didn't even know you were smart. I didn't even know you could form sentences, Kayla. Yeah. And then it turns into this whole thing. And I'm just like, you know what? If you're not going, if you're not going to, again, it's about that complexity. If you don't realize I'm just, I'm a, I'm a complex individual like you, mm-hmm. then what is my motivation to be your friend? Because mm-hmm. my friends, especially the ones that aren't even in the art scene, do recognize me as that. They recognize mm-hmm. me as this complex individual a lot of feelings and a lot of understandings about the world who's funny and smart Mm -hmm. and likes weird shit and can have conversations about things that other people wouldn't have conversations about Mm -hmm. so I think so me just kind of my observation and opinion from like where I've seen you in the scene and everything I've always thought that you were just like a mysterious yeah (laughs) (laughs) like I've always thought you were just low-key because I have a lot of friends that are Mm low-key and I'm internally low-key myself Um, so, I mean, I've always just admired you from afar and I just thought you were like, you know, low key, mysterious, doing your own thing. I I don't think I've ever had any like negative, um, connotations or or ideas about you. That's good. Yeah. 
I don't think anyone really does, to be honest. I don't think by and large people do. I think I'm really good at, you know, like, I'm really, I really do want people to be, feel comfortable around me. Mm-hmm. And I do want, you know, like, I, I always remind myself in every situation that even if that's the air that's coming out, I always tell myself, everyone is struggling with something. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going through something right now, especially if you're in your 20s, in your 30s, or if you're a teenager, especially, you're going through something. Most people do have some sort of chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I also, the flip side of this, this is another thing that has crafted me as a person, is I've just learned not to take things personally. Right. Because stuff very rarely is ever really about yes. me, honestly. People are acting on their own volition, their mm-hmm. own instincts, their own morale, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from their own perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not ever really going to be about me. Yeah. So. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, you know, just kind of throwing this out there for if you want to take any of, of what I, I've done in the past, but I feel like just hearing you talk about how you feel with, like, not having to prove yourself, I definitely, like... 100% have been like that too I'm just like I'll let my art speak for me blah blah mm-hmm. blah I definitely realized I have to play the game like you know just kind of learning that I have to basically say here I am mm-hmm. and it caused a lot of friction at first mm-hmm. but I think people are starting to realize like I'm I'm serious like yes. I'm not playing around but I had to prove myself so hard in so many ways like you know just <clears throat> Just having to have that, like, look, this is what I've done in the past, just to even prove that I'm worthy of, like, being listened to. I have to come with that always, you know, like, this is what I did, this is who I am, this is what I've done in the past, this is my survival, you know? And, yeah, and we shouldn't have to do that. It should just be given. That's what I was about to say. It's, like, it's literally crazy because male artists don't have to do that. They just, yeah, people just appreciate their art. They just show up. Yeah. Women constantly have to prove that we're deserving that we can create Mm -hmm. stuff that is worthy of praise yeah yeah (laughs) it's just just it's it's so insane and it's just it and there's so many layers to it too like we're talking about the the women you know females um like, but there's layers. Like, you're a black woman. Mm-hmm. I'm an Asian woman. Like, there's so many layers of how much we've had to actually, like, dig through to get people to take us seriously. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's a whole nother conversation with racism in, mm-hmm. in our... Yeah, it's a whole nother... <laughs> yes, there's, like, so many layers and nuances yeah. and just... Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with, with us. I know that's, you know, it's very vulnerable and... Mm-hmm. and I don't think a lot of people get to hear your thoughts, so that's why, again, I'm very happy that you're you're here on my podcast. Um, and we, I personally would say we'd love to hear more from you. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about. Um, I, I mentioned that we would talk about social media and you know how that's kind of affected the world overall oh, and, and art. Um, I know you specifically wanted to talk about TikTok, but oh my um, as, as your journey, you know, during, in your journey as an artist, you know, how have you seen social media um, change the way that artists are discovered or share their work or just the world in general? Social media has changed everything. <laughs> I, like literally in a nutshell, it has changed everything. Like, so I, so um, 
back to like before i did go to school i went to uta for music mm-hmm. they do make you take music business classes oh they don't cover social media okay which is the way to make things happen now it's mm. still the way they taught it to me was very old-fashioned mm. you do your thing you find a label label gives you team you sign a deal da, 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 da. it's very just like you know abc step kind of stuff that doesn't exist anymore mm. not in that way most of the time what i'm finding out is that people our record labels won't take a chance on you unless you have some sort of following already. Mm. So that's what we're seeing. That's why we're seeing a lot of um, people on TikTok become discovered for their music because, like, the song will get played 50 billion different times and it'll catch the attention of, you know, an A&R exec um, or someone who's an artist development or whatever at a label and that'll be their art that artist that one artist that put out that song it'll be their only single but it just got on tiktok and it just yeah changed the algorithm and now they have a record deal yeah and now they're working on their first album yeah and now they have a song with kanye and now it's like it <laughs> yeah. literally it just takes off so fast mm-hmm. it's only because you create that one song on your laptop mm-hmm. in your closet <laughs> and some kids were like oh shit this is amazing yeah let's make dances to it yeah and then <laughs> Before you know it, you're on stage singing to 50,000 people and you have a spot at Coachella. And it's so it is really, really different Mm -hmm. now. It's Mm -hmm. very much algorithmically charged, Mm -hmm. this music industry. You do have to understand how the algorithm works. That's probably one of my like top three things that I'm really trying to understand about Mm -hmm. music now and the business is how do we hack this algorithm? How Mm -hmm. do we make it work for us? How Mm -hmm. do we grow our following while organically, while this algorithm is determining everything because it's supposed to be this unbiased thing, but we already know that it's not because the people who created it aren't unbiased. Mm -hmm. So it's just really, it's really so. And like with the TikTok thing, yeah, it's like, it's, it's come to the point where like they're starting I think they heard they were going to start including a TikTok category or something like that at the Grammys or like it was something something someone had told me in LA that's one of my friends who actually is in the industry um she's awesome but she told me like it's it's, TikTok has taken over the music industry in such a way that there is no ignoring it and they're going to start including it in more award shows and things like that because that's crazy do you feel like it's um, it's easier to get discovered on TikTok versus any other social media platform like Instagram or anything? I don't know. Or I YouTube even. Remember when YouTube was like, I, that's oh how Justin God. Bieber got found Yes. Oh my God. And I remember like you used to just like put videos up on YouTube and people will be, again, a little bit of algorithm, but mostly it was very like person- led like you just you got discovered because you were good and you had all these videos that's how Halsey got discovered that's how oh. a lot of artists got discovered but I feel like I don't know because I, I don't have a TikTok and you don't I don't and I, I do need to make one mm-hmm. I keep saying they keep to me I need to make one but like I feel like I'm I, so scared to get one I'm so scared to get Honestly, one too. I got one I got one today because I knew we were going to talk about TikTok mm-hmm. and 
I literally like made one and I was like, what am I doing? Like I felt so old. That's what I'm so afraid of. It's just like, am I going to feel old doing this? Because I already feel old. So I'm just like, if I make this, I'm not going to make a fool of myself. Right. Am I going to look like grandma? Am I going to look like one of these millennial aunties? Yeah. Like, I just don't want to... So yeah. that's the biggest motivation as to why I haven't made one. I feel that. <laughs> but at the same time, like, there is no denying that I'm going to have to eventually make one. As far as how easy it is to get discovered, I think in some ways it probably is really, like, the big thing. And, like, I used to be, I don't know if you know what Clubhouse is. Yeah. So I would be in these Clubhouse rooms with some of these a and some of these executives, and they would talk about how to... Um, get your music out there. One of the things that kept coming up was paying TikTok influencers to put your oh, music, put your music on there. in the background or have them create a little dance to it, pay them, wow. let it go viral. That was a thing that came up a lot. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. So that's the, the way to go these days. Mm-hmm. Do you think... So another reason I was afraid to get TikTok is... Do you remember Vine? Oh my god, yes. Yeah. And that I, lasted for like two seconds. <laughs> that's what I thought like TikTok was going to be, but it seems like it's kind of staying for a while. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what I've... I never had a Vine either. And um, I want to I wanna ask your opinion about this. Um, so I felt like Vine... So remember we, we mentioned how I'm a purist, and mm-hmm. I know you are as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like Vine, it's such a great... It was such a great platform for like so much creativity as far as videos, mm-hmm. but I feel like it takes away from filmmakers, videographers that use DSLRs. It, it does. I mean, like, honestly, we live in a world where the attention span of everyone gets shorter and mm. shorter and shorter. I think Vine was the first to really grasp it, that. Yes, and then yes. the Musical.ly thing, app thing, that was a huge thing. The voiceover app thing, that yeah. was... So, like, it, it's always been... It's like a, a race for how much you can entertain someone in literally under 30 seconds. Yes. And so it does take away from art. It takes away from storytelling. It takes away from just so many things that like I kind of wonder if younger generations are ever really gonna understand and if the ones that do understand how they're gonna bring that back because I mean if we are constantly if we're going in this direction of shorter attention span right how do you gonna how are you gonna keep me enticed for 30 seconds before I lose my entire attention yeah that's like it's it's I hate to say it, but that's a world that's eventually going to be really, really stupid. Yeah. And not going to be able to truly appreciate... I sound like a grandma, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a world that's not going to really be able to truly appreciate art for as it is. Yeah. Like, there's just so many... So many things that I can think of mm-hmm. that it's just like you definitely need an attention span longer than thirty seconds to understand this. Yeah, because you're missing out on the the message and the point. Right, if and you don't sit with it. And thinking between the lines, like like thinking, you know, elaborating on an idea. It's just like ideas are just thrown at you. Like 
when you create a TikTok, Kayla, you'll understand. I, I literally like opened it and videos and, and, and noises were just flying all around me. And like, I was like, where is the home screen so that nothing's going on? And I could not find one. Cause my home screen was, was playing videos. I was swiping I up. Screen. I was, yeah, I felt so old. I was like, how do I get out of this? Where's my nephew? Like, can you make this thing work? Yeah, That's it was just, at. well, it was so much like stimulus. Like I felt sensory overload because yes. it, I could not stop it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where things are going but so that's the dark side to like social media and tiktok mm-hmm. but then you know what what you're trying to learn and everything it sounds like social media tiktok is the way to get founded as an artist because at the end of the day and this is something i've just had to just come to jesus on basically mm-hmm. if you are planning to thrive as an artist and really make it somewhere you have to get the attention of mm. these kids or younger people teenagers oh no <laughs> you have to there it really is there yeah. is no other real way around it if you want oh, longevity gosh. yeah you're right okay because the artists that have longevity are artists that people grew up with mm-hmm. justin bieber mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. for example justin bieber mm-hmm. like we hated him at first. I don't know if every like if you hated him, but I remember the awful jokes and the things yeah. that people used to say, and it was like cool to hate on him. Right. But he grew up with us. Yeah. Even if he was the butt of the joke, even if right people know his name, we knew yeah. his name. He was always in that public eye. We grew up with him. We watched him grow. Mm-hmm. He still made music, mm-hmm. and so like that's and it starts with planting that seed when they're kids and so they grow up with you mm-hmm. and so that's how you, and Lindsay Lohan yeah you know, I can point to so many people so many celebrities was like right. the reason why they're so famous and why we can't let them go is because we grew up we with grew them. up with them yeah wow and so that's how you create that and, that and that was one of the things that I realized going into those clubhouse rooms and chats mm-hmm. and listening to these A&Rs and all these you know record company people and just like listening to them talk it's like if you if this is what you want this is a game this is a business yeah. you are going to have to play the game yep and if you don't want to play the game yeah sucks for you <laughs> yeah. because people genuinely don't care yeah so yeah man wow so that's <laughs> <laughs> just that's just the bottom line was... you're very much correct so i was just like we've had so a lot of heavy realizations and conversations during this whole episode so i'm just like processing everything still but i love it and thank you so much you know for for being here with us today kayla um i i really love that we got to know more about you and i hope everyone who's listening you know is able to to learn more about you and you know hopefully that will um allow more of that friendship to to come in the art scene and everything because we love you we all love you i love you too (laughs) i think everyone i've met is so awesome like really truly i have not met a single Mm. true asshole and i know like i said all this stuff about like being looked over but that's Mm. just kind of my reality my perspective i don't hate anyone that's ever just like not spoken to me i've always just understood that like it's not personal yeah everyone's Mm. acting on their own you know yeah on their own interest but still you know it's um i think as artists we're all socially awkward in a way yes so that's (laughs) yes that's another reason i did this podcast so that people can just know about like artists um and just be like oh hey i listen to your podcast and 
break that ice already. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so I'm trying to help everyone out. Yay. Trying to do yeah. hard work for the community. So before we close out here, I want to ask, um, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram, Plastic China Doll. You can find me on um, I, uh, Iggy Meggie, anything Iggy Meggie. So um, definitely on Instagram. We have Facebooks as well. Um, I'm not going to give my personal Facebook out, but you, obviously you can find that as well. <laughs> um, so that's really where I mostly am. I'm really mostly on Instagram. So if you really want to connect with me, DM me on Instagram. I will see it. I will answer eventually for sure. <laughs> um, that's where you're going to see a lot of my own personal stuff, a lot of my own personal content, a lot of my thoughts, the things I find that are funny, mm-hmm. but also like my own music and my own projects and mm-hmm. um, the things that I'm working on and photo shoots and all that jazz. So. Nice. And what upcoming shows or projects should we be on the lookout for? Um, Iggy Meggie definitely has some more shows coming up for sure. Um, I am currently working on some songs with some local artists. I'm going to say who just in uh-oh. case just in case they don't want me to put it out there already. But I was recording <laughs> with a couple people last night. Oh, nice. So we, there's some stuff going on. I'm going to pop up on a record or two. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, Are we going to hear your vocals? Uh-huh. <gasps> Yes, because I you were on Damien's album and mm-hmm. um, on um, Familiar, mm-hmm. and I saw your name and I was like, when am I hearing her voice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like honestly, that was the craziest thing because like he sent it to me, and I was like, oh yeah, I got you, fam. And I like I have this little tiny mini keyboard uh, like, that I record <laughs> on because I just hooks up to my laptop. All I have to do is just put the doll on, and like uh-huh. I have a little piano, and I can oh, just like so press the keys and just like create. Mm-hmm. chords and stuff like that and make it sound like a real piano okay and nice. so yeah <laughs> awesome. my little recordings oh but and what um what's your cash app slash Venmo so that we can support you so my cash app is dollar sign k k 90 so k-a-y-s-c-a-y 90 mm-hmm. um Venmo I think is Kayla scales pretty sure I, I mostly do cash app. Okay. <laughs> so cash app's the, the way to go. <laughs> All right. And lastly, Kayla, what uh, you've given us so many great words of advice, but what words of advice do you have specifically for anyone there out there listening that's working on their journey as an artist, you know, based on your experience? Get it in writing. Oh, contracts. <laughs> get it in writing. Even if it's not a contract, get it in writing somehow. Um, don't put all of your, all of your things in one bucket, spread your stuff around. It's, you know, having solo projects are always a good idea. Having other things going on is always a good idea. Um, cause I've just seen people put all of their hopes and material and all into one project. And when that one project fails, everything mm-hmm. they worked on went right with it. And that's mm-hmm. always awful to see. So don't diversify your portfolio, basically, okay. if you want to talk about business-wise <laughs> material. Diversify your portfolio, get it in writing, um, and um, make sure that, um, you know, when you're creating things, keep branding in mind, keep how you're going to turn it into a brand in mind. Always create like a little stepping stone for yourself, like when you make something, how do we jump off and make that, capitalize on that, and mm-hmm. go to the next step, and the next step, and the next step. So always 
when you're making something or when you're doing something, always make it a pathway to where you're going to be able to make something more out of it eventually later. Mm -hmm. So don't make things that are just like, bam, this is it, you know, and that's all there is ever going to be. Try to make it a jump off point. Hmm. Yeah. Great words of advice. So for those of y'all who are listening out there, um, I hope y'all got to gain some insight on Kayla's life as well as her experience and words of wisdom. And again, thank you so much for joining me today, Kayla. It's been such a huge pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Um, and make sure of course to follow her on her social medias, uh, support her, stream her music as Plastic China Doll and as Iggy Meji. And make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to Tape This. And stay tuned for the next episode in August. As always, y'all, stay safe and spread love and light anywhere you can. Bye. Bye.